Hello, everybody. Welcome to our third and final segment of Joey and I's conversations with our friends in the Black community. This one is super special with two lovely ladies that I work with at the New Jersey Devils. Ashley Stallworth, who is a rock star, one of my closest friends in the office, someone who has been by my side since day one, and Lexi Williams, a local Rochesterian that I've been so pleasured to work with for the last year, year and a half. Um, she's from the east side of town, and I am from the west side of town like Joey, so we have the uh, east side, west side battles in the office. Keeps my heart close to home, but thank you ladies for both coming on and, and taking the time today to make, yeah. a, make everybody open their minds and, and ears and, and listen a little bit. Definitely. So as mentioned prior to this and with our other two interviews that we've done, Malcolm Damar and Daryl and Colin, this is completely uncut and raw and we want you women to be able to speak your minds as Joey and I will be asking questions mostly both of you speak and then you know just continuing to, to ask follow-ups on that and then any questions you have for us as white men um, we'd be more than happy to answer as well so to kind of, to kind of kick it off at least in, in a rec the recent day we've seen the protests and, and the boycotts in professional sports specifically and I think it's super important that we toss over to you women that also work in professional sports. I think you see it very, very closely and firsthand and just wanted to honestly get your initial thoughts on, on the boycotts and protests to help people understand that may not understand or may not want to understand why this is being done and how this can continue to at least invoke conversations for change moving forward. Yeah. So I would say, <clears throat> uh, specific to the WNBA and the NBA boycotts, just because they were sort of on the front end of that. Um, I had like never been more proud to work in sports in that moment. Um, Ashley, I'm, I know Ashley and I are close friends, so we've talked about this since, but um, I know that there was a, a small glimpse of time where I was a little embarrassed that I did work in the NHL though. Obviously we own the Sixers and the Devils, but we predominantly work with the Devils and um, you know, I was a little embarrassed when the only league that played their games was the one league I happened to work in as a black woman. So I was like, sick. Tell me more about how you care about racial injustices in this country. Um, and I think, you know, that sort of coupled with the idea that like the other sports league that we work for being in, in the NBA um, didn't play their games and we're so and it was so player led to me was like oh my god this is amazing these these guys that are that are in the nba or first of all they're like half of them are younger than me and they have the forethought to do these things more than like their ownership groups that are like 65 year old white men right and so there was like this thing inside of me that was just like wow this is really amazing it's so player led i know that i'm witnessing something that is frankly a part of history I hope that this never happens again because we've solved solved every racial issue in this country, even though I know that that's not gonna be the case. But um, I think that now my thing is like, and again, Ashley and I have talked about this, like now my thing is like the people are like, well, what is it really doing? And I'm like, well, what did the Montgomery bus boycott really do when that lasted like hundreds of days? Like in the moment, people are probably like, oh, that's so stupid. You're not taking the bus to work. But it's like, yes, but now I can ride the bus as a black woman alongside a white man and not be asked to give up my seat. So like, yes, in the present day, someone probably was like, Bertha, Ethel, you're an idiot for not taking the bus to work. But like me now, Bertha or Ethel's like great, 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 great grandchild actually that these bus boycotts would have been our grandparents. That's how far removed it wasn't. Um, like I can ride the bus when my grandparents couldn't, right? So like that's part of the thing with these boycotts is like in the moment people are probably like, this is so stupid. Like you're gonna continue to play on Saturday. But like me as like a 27 year old, I'm first of all, I'm never gonna forget this. Second of all, there's going to be some lasting ramification when my grandchild goes to do something that I could not do. And that to me is like this ripple pool effect that when these things start with a sport 
or with something as it, that seems so small as like right not riding a bus that has these lasting effects on communities and and generations right um and i think that's that's sort of how i come to come to understand or, or think about the boycotts yeah for me i would say more so like mine's not as complex i would say as lexi's like mine is like i'm finally happy that people are using their platform to create and continue to create awareness of this topic and I, a lot of people are like shut up and dribble like just stick to the game like but why because they just are celebrities in sports that they can't have their own thoughts like just like regular people like the people who say shut up and dribble have their own thoughts so it's like for me i'm glad that they're finally like speaking out because i've always seen it as the players being like the slaves to the owners um so I think that this is very pivotal even in that way because the owners technically own the players, but now the players are sticking up and saying like, hey, like, no, this is not okay and we're gonna make a statement for it. So for me, that's how it spoke to me. Um, so it's not as complex as Lexi's, but I, I do think that is powerful in itself. I'll also um, say on that note, Ash, like, I know there's like, have you guys seen those um comparisons between like the nfl combine and like a slave um showing basically and there's like significant research and like books on frank i think we've talked about this like there's significant research and and like scholarly comparisons between these two things and like i often think of things like what ashley's talking about where it's like i think it's something like 70 or 80 percent of nba players are are black but there's literally only one team that's like 20% owned by a black man. The rest are all old white men. So it's like, yeah, I mean, if you want like the best sort of per personification of like, fuck you, like we're not gonna just do this for you as like white people, then I would say it's like the NBA, you know? Like that's, that's, that's kind of an amazing like modern day comparison to like, no, we're just like, we're putting, like, we're not going to pick any more cotton for you. We're not doing right. that. We're making a stand today. And to, I think that's like, that's a, that's a beautiful point, Ash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, so, and to your point, Lexi, it's, it's, it's all sports. I mean, let's call it what it is. I mean, every sport is white, old men ownership. And me and Frank have been absolutely harping on the point that it's 2020 and we've just seen the first black NFL president be hired and Jason Wright with the Washington, Washington now football team. So yeah, to your, again, I would get why you guys think that. And it's not, to me, it's not foreign, but to someone listening, hopefully not our listeners, but people out there, it's like that conceptual, like that, that thought is so foreign that they can't, they never will grasp it. And that's the part that scares me the most is that there's people out there who can listen to you guys talk about your experiences or how just, how you guys think about things and still be like just so far on the wrong end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously why there's protests, why there's boycotts, why this is all happening. So um yeah it's both your points like i think using the platform of course is great and if at the very least it's getting people looking at it and talking about it and to lexi's point about where i us, i think we're all in agreement that the boycotts itself will not end racism in america but it's at least going to get the ball rolling and people are talking about it whether they, they like it or not they're looking at it and that's what we need we need eyes on it and then we need to move forward and get going that's what my, my question to you guys is and i've asked this to all the people we talked to so far yeah last night and today that what do you guys think or what would you guys like to see happen next to make sure that all these efforts kind of don't go to waste in a sense? Yeah. So for me, I think it's partial like legislation um, or legislative changes, right? Like if you look at the death of George Floyd, like what's changed in our country? Don't worry. Yeah. Wait, like nothing. Yeah. Right. A, hashtag, like, a hashtag. Yeah. Yeah, a hashtag. And like, I'll be damned if you see my mother on the TV talking about what a great life Lexi led. I'll be damned. Absolutely not. But like, I can't control that. That's 100% in the lives of whether or not a cop woke up on the wrong side of a bed. Like, I'll be damned, right? But like, to me, it's like accountability with police officers, right? Like, now, and, and this is like another thing, right? Like, I don't think we can sit here and say like, this is a cop problem. Like this is an American problem. The fact that we equate 
like police officers with like this idea of like racism just shows how frankly racist America is, right? Like we can't protest racism without someone being like, you're so anti-police. I'm like, first of all, personally, I'm not anti-police, but like at the exact same time, like if it takes us weeding out every police officer and starting again, I'm for it. Because at the end of the day, if you have one bad doctor, you're damn right I'm gonna be like, fuck doctors, like fuck that, like no. But like, that's the thing, doctors handle their own. Like if you fuck up something as a doctor, that's it. There's nothing more for you. No one's protecting you. No other doctor's like, well, they had 15 other good surgeries. Like, no, you had one bad one, you're done. And police officers need to be, I don't know why it's the one profession that people are like, well, they had all these other, I don't care. I genuinely don't care. But like, as a black American, if I say that I'm anti-police, which like, I'm not fault. There are people in this world who are anti-police and for good reason. And that is totally on them. But like, I, I'm not anti-police. And even if I was like, you could kind of see where I might be like as a black person, right? Like that's, that's kind of fucked up. And so that's like one to me is like, we need like every, I don't care about like the cost of a body cam. Every police officer needs to wear a body cam. And if you turn that shit off, you're fired. Plain and simple. If there's an incident, you turned your body cam off, you're fired. There you go. Because like, if you're recording a, a knee surgery and the person wakes up paralyzed, but you turned off the camera, you probably did something wrong or that you knew you should not have done. So with knee surgery, we can completely conceptualize why we would not want to turn off a camera or any of those other things, right? But why is it different with police officers? Well, they're like in the line of duty, they're being shot at, they're being fired at. I totally understand that. But like Breonna Taylor was laying in her bed. So like, I'm, I'm confused. Like I make that make, make that make sense for me. Right. So like that to me is like one thing. Another thing is like complete and total education reform. The way that we fund suburban schools due to tax dollars and completely underfund urban schools because of tax dollars is disgusting to me. In 15 years, I want to see a little black something engineer i don't care like literally like president of a sports team whatever but like he's not going to have that unless he has access because in this country we equate a bachelor's degree with like you've made it when in fact like there are people who are like small business owners or who are handymen that make more money than people that have bachelor's degrees but we hold such a high price tag and we value something like that meanwhile that person's in a hundred thousand dollars in debt right and i say this as someone who went to college and has about heard, heard that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like we're all sitting here on top of our loans, like shit, this is <laughs> terrible, but like we had to, and, and that's kind of the way that we were born, but we also have a distinct privilege in the way that like we had access to that, right? Like there's a million kids in this country sitting down the road, 15 minutes from where I live in the city of Rochester that don't have access to their next meal. You think they give a shit about what they're learning virtually right now? Mm-hmm. No. Let's like, see. That's another big one. On that, I do think also, like, me going to an HBCU, it opened my eyes a lot, and I think on education reform, like, there is no education on African-American, like, history, and I think that's a huge problem. Like, people should be learning of all sides of the history because, let's be honest, like, Black people are part of the history of this country, a huge part of the history of this country. I mean, we literally built it. Exactly. And so for me, I, when I went to a and we have to take an African-American studies right when we come in. Like you have to learn your history right before, like right when you start. And I do think like in education reform, like they need to teach people the real history, not the history of what sounds good, the white history. White like history. Exactly, the white history. Like ev- they need to learn everything. And if we start teaching that from the beginning, like this racism, I feel like can start being broken apart a little bit because people will be like, wow, this is really fucked up what happened here in the United States. So I agree with that, Lexi. Continue, continue. Um, yeah, no, I think legislation, education reform, um, I'll be the one to say it. I'm, I'm very pro reparations in this country. Um, there's a million things that were discovered invented, created by black people that were taken from white people, um, dating back centuries. If you look at redlining, gentrification, literally any of those things, like, I'm like, just like, let's just start funneling money into black communities. 
And to some extent, like I, I'll give a pat on the back to HBSE, like we're starting to do that, right? Like we are literally dedicating time, space, and frankly, money to black businesses to do corporate partnerships and things like that. It's like these, these companies otherwise would never be able to do a deal with a company as big as ours, just because they're, they're small time, right? Like, which is totally fine, but they haven't had access to be big time. So now the devils and the Sixers and all of our sort of conglomerate companies are allowing them the space to do partnerships with us to get their name out there, like as if they were a PSENG or I don't know, insert name of the New Jersey lottery, right? Like that's, that's an unbelievable opportunity. So for me, like part of that is like just pouring money into black communities because they haven't had equal access to it for 400 years. So like, yeah, I say we just start writing checks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I do want to step in here too, Lexine. I'm glad you mentioned that as our company that's putting their money where their mouth is. And it's been brought up in the other interviews as well. A lot of it is starting with who's, especially on the business side, we'll speak of like who is leading the charge. Like our leaders have shown the vulnerability and now the action to what's next. For the majority of the, this country and the majority of just keeping in this pro sports realm, the leadership has been blind or has not wanted to take the time to be vulnerable, admit their wrongs and say, hey, now it's time to move forward and put these action steps in place. And to Joey's point, there's been one NFL black president. And to Lexi's point, there's white ownership everywhere in all sports. So you're seeing that the, the blindness is, is beginning at the top and then it trickles down, trickles down, trickles down to the point where people can't even feel comfortable over the past however many years opening their mouths, opening their minds. And now we are doing that and we're breaking the mold. And I've mentioned it before as well, this generation is completely, in my opinion, misconstrued of our softness, of our instant gratification, of our sensitivity. In my opinion, I think it's, we're going against the grain and we don't care if you're mad about it because what's been the grain for so long hasn't been the right grain. Just because it's been happening for so long, it doesn't mean it's correct. So we as this generation are doing so much upstream swimming that people can't fathom it. They can't handle it. And that's what I appreciate the most about even a conversation like this, um, that we're able to have this conversation because I know our parents are not having this conversation 30, 40 years ago when they were our age. So we're like the pinpoint of, of a lot of shit that happened in this country. Like stuff just kind of built and then it, I'm playing with a chip clip, sorry. It stuff just kind of like built and it led to like babies born in the 90s. And like, I don't want to give, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, but like, I don't want to give us too much credit as a generation. Like we had to be raised by people and those people raised us to be, have warmer hearts. Like people that say soft, I'm like, do you mean to be more empathetic? Is that what you're saying? Like I saw this meme that per perfectly encapsulated um our generation and it was like something about how men that are our age don't know how to fix anything and this guy replied tweeted and said sure but i can tell my daughter i love her and that is 100 how i feel about our generation like i don't feel like maybe the men in our generation or the women in our generation know how to cook as well and the men in our generation know how to fix things but at the end of the day, like the person that I marry will be able to look my daughter dead in her eyes and be like, I love you. Have a great day. But like a boomer is going to be like, oh, be strong. Have a, you know, have the day you have. But like Frank's going to look his daughter in the eye and be like, I love you. Have a great day. And there's nothing wrong with that. You hear guys saying it all the time. I love you, man. Like that, that's, that was not happening mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40 years ago. But mm-hmm. that's partially in the way that we were raised. Like our parents instilled in us value sets that allowed us to understand that that's maybe important. And even if your parents didn't do that, you were put in a position and had access to other people to where you realize that maybe my parents didn't like do this in the same way, but like, I'm, I'm still going to be able to do that because they instilled in you the ability to critically think. And that is where I think the difference is. So yeah, I think it's totally on us, but I think part of it is our parents being like so it was like a buildup of so many things and like then we got the internet and we saw that other people 
were raised this way and you can take other people. And now we're seeing like the effects of like affirmative action. So now you have more black people that you're interacting with or like gay people or whatever. And then we just like, we actually started mixing things up. And then we saw that other people were a little bit different from us and you take little pieces of that and that becomes Frank, right? Or that becomes Lexi or whatever. And I think that that's, that's more so part of it is that we started mixing things and then we saw other things on the internet and realized that maybe the way that we were raised in Fairport, New York or Greece, New York or, you know, Piscataway, New Jersey was maybe a little bit different than the way other people were doing things. And like we were instilled that ability to critically think again. And now we have this conglomerate of like an empathetic, kind, more accepting human. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to go back um, in terms of like what I want to see moving forward. I think what a lot of people are in denial of is the barriers that are put on for people who have less resources to even get in our industry. Um, If you think about it, like for me, I had to do an unpaid internship like when, and I don't know if people still do that. I know HBSE does not, but unpaid internships, if your parents don't have the resources to completely support you, like you can't do that. And that is your foot in the door at that point. Like you cannot do that. Same thing with like, you think about these entry-level sales positions, right? Like these salaries are entry-level, I mean like low, low salaries. And if you don't have parents or family or friends that are, that can help you, you automatically can not get into the sports industry just because you can't afford yourself. So I, I think there needs to be a conversation of like, yeah, maybe the salary doesn't go up, right? But maybe there's partnerships with housing that you start with, you know, entry level people that are coming in to give them those resources so they can have these jobs. Like, that's how we're going to start seeing like the diversity numbers go up, in my opinion, in these sports um, jobs, because otherwise, like, you see it, like, they're all like young white males coming from privileged areas where their parents are literally like, here you go. Like here, like, Oh, I'll just, I'll just pay for your rent every month. It's no big deal. And like, for me, like my parents have done that for me before, but they've struggled to do that. Like it's not easy at all. And like, I would never allow them to do that again. So I think a lot of people actually deny jobs and say no, because they literally can't afford their life on their job. So I would love to see if companies can step up and try to change that um, because I think all the like sports say there's a lack of diversity. Like how can we recruit better? I'm like, no, like it is directly with pay and with people having lack of resources and companies saying like, oh, well, like make it work. And especially in sports, there is no time to get a second job. There is no time like right now. Yeah. But like Mm -hmm. on a normal basis, there is no time for that. It's your salary and that's it. And so I think that that is a huge area of opportunity for especially our industry, but other industries as well. So when I'm glad and going off that point, Ashley, um, I like that point you made, because I think going even deeper and more down to like the individual level, like I think it's very important for people to realize their circumstances and also who they're next to or whether they're white, black, whatever it may be. But like, I think as a country, we have to get better at putting ourselves in somebody's shoes. Like you don't know if you had like, you know, the quote unquote head start on somebody where like it's almost like an unfair playing field. So I think while that's not necessarily anybody's fault at the core of it, but I think you realizing what, what you have versus what somebody else may have is ultimately what's going to fuel people again, being more accountable, being more respectable about race or any, really any topic. And I think in, just in life. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that point you made. And I think that can go down from like the, the corporate level to like just being like, a human and the humanizing the fact that you have to realize what you have and what somebody else has and that that doesn't make them less than you. I, go ahead. Sorry, Frank. I was just going to say quickly, and that's tying it back to the, the boycotting and protesting and people having a problem with it. Like <clears throat> there's humans that aren't putting themselves in these athletes shoes. And we mentioned this again in, in Daryl and Collins conversation, like we use the NBA, for example, a lot of them came from, literally nothing. And they were in communities where they saw family and friends get shot or get stabbed or get murdered or lose their lives. Like there's blood on them. Like they feel that. And there's people saying, why are they boycotting? Like just play the game. And to Joey's point, like it's completely insensitive for people, especially white folks to not understand. Like we didn't have to see that. We just, we want to enjoy the beauty of sport, but the people playing it are more than just 
athletes making millions of dollars. Some of them came from nothing, like living in apartments with 12 other people in one room. And now they work their tails off to get to this level. But now because they want to stand up for what they know is right and to bring everyone else up with them, like to just be quiet and play your game, like that's the mindfulness that people don't have. And to Joey's point, I just wanted to bring it up quick because it, it continues to pop in my head. And I'm glad that these themes are continuing to be brought up in these interviews because it shows like there are some very, very glaring, glaring issues that are very obvious that people just take, don't take the time to be mindful of. Phenomenal point. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to sit here and talk about it, right? <laughs> we don't have to be about it, right? We can, right. we can sit here and, and theorize on it. And at the end of the day, like we're not, there's, I read something once about how like living in the projects in the United States is like living in like Beirut, right? Like there's two different, we have two different Americas. We have like the America where you can walk outside of your door and see someone get shot. And we have America where you can walk outside of your door and wave to your neighbor and ask them to borrow milk. Yep. 15 right. minutes together, 10, three blocks sometimes, right? Like, it's, you know, I, I think that's a good point. And you can see in Rochester, relax, like, for us, like, take your time and just drive down Avenue D or drive down some part of the north part of the city and you will feel like you are in a different time zone. And if you don't open your eyes to that stuff, it's, it's unbelievable. And I'll just use a quick example of myself. When I moved to Jersey, I lived in Jersey City for one month in the Heights and it was predominantly... Um, humans from the Middle East, from Pakistan, from India. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was a minority. First time ever, I felt like I was a minority. And I adjusted, like, instead of saying, oh, this is horrible, like, what am I doing here? Like, I got to know a roommate who lived, who, who was from Iran and went to UB. And then our owner of the apartment was from India and went to Ohio State. And I just made the connection of family in Columbus, Ohio, and living in Western New York and these people from Iran and India became immediately my friends and I appreciated them. Instead of thinking I am the minority here, I adjusted and rooted in. And that very simple aspect has changed my life forever um, and has allowed me to open my eyes to other things and now continue conversations and vulnerability within the black community as well. So I wanted to bring that point up as well because I've never felt it except for that one month in my life. So I cannot imagine what it's felt like for the two of you women and everyone else in the black community that's so deeply pushing for change. Yeah. I personally like, and I, this is how I feel. Like, I feel like the reason why white people are so scared of change is because life has been so privileged for them that like, if black people start coming up, if any, any race starts coming up in the world, like that's taking job, they see it as that's taking jobs from them. That's like, like, things aren't given to them anymore. They now have to work for it. Um, and I think that that's a scary thing when your entire life, everything was like, oh yeah, you automatically get in front of this black person because you're white. So like, I think people are, are like scared. And I think that is a lot of the pushback that people don't want to um, admit because if we start like, you know, if everybody, if we are on a fair playing ground and we are completely diverse as a, as a company, and I don't know what the numbers are at HBSE, but any company, like say it's 80% white, if it starts going down to like, I don't know, like 60% white and we start bringing in all these other diversity like races and everything, like do they feel threatened? Do they feel scared for their job? Like, and I think that's exactly what's happening right now. And I think a lot of people, that's, I think that's where a lot of people are like, no, like this needs to be like the way it was all the time. America has been great. And I'm like, no, that, that's not the case. It, it was never great. It was never great for black people. It was always great for white people. So, yeah. I, the word you use threatened there, I think is, is a, the most, per, the best word to describe it. I think the, in sports, especially, I think, being the ownership is mostly white and like all the people of who hold like of high prominence, mostly in sports, sports industry are white. And I think they are, I think the older generation, like even probably before our, our, our grandparents, that level of generation, I think the white people are severely threatened by an educated black man, educated black woman, Latinos, any, a, a, a gay person. I think they're very threatened by somebody going against their grain of like, I'm white. 
Like this should be my, like I almost like it's like a birthright that they like have to have like that role of prominence. And I think that word threatened, like they, they feel scared that somebody who doesn't, who isn't white or their same age is better than them. And they like will never admit that. Mm-hmm. They so don't I, have I, like that. That, I like that word threatened a lot. They, they are scared. They're terrified. Oh yeah. The number of times in my life that I've heard, oh my gosh, you're so well-spoken. Yeah. I'm like, why don't you just slap for a black person on the end of that? and keep it moving with your Tuesday. Cause that's what you're saying. That's what you mean. Yes. And like it, like Ash, like we've talked about that. Like if someone said that to Ashley about me at our company and Ashley was like, cool. Like, you know, like what are you supposed to say to that? Like, mm-hmm. and I know you mean it to be complimentary, but like somewhere in the back of your mind, you're like, wow, she's sitting up here talking in front of our whole company and she sounds better than I would in that situation. Ooh. Let me go over to her black friend and say, oh, Lexi's so well-spoken. I think we see that so much in the sports. But like, if you hear, like, LeBron James going on a microphone or, like, Kobe Bryant, like, guys who, like, oh, like, you know, for a black guy, they speak pretty well. It's like. No one and then, said that and about they, Tim Tebow. Like, come on. <laughs> right. Is it, yeah, I'm saying, like, yeah, oh, oh, for a black guy, he's, like, he's pretty smart. It's like. Yeah. And it's so hard to think internally. Like, I think people, people would who are saying that are definitely racist at some points, but I think there are people who are, who say that, but they don't, I guess, male intentionally mean it, but it still, the end result is the end result of what they're saying. But that's the part that I'm going, like, that's the part that scared me. That, like somebody can say that, but not realize the connotation of like, like they think that what they're saying is like, Oh, I'm being, I'm being nice to them. But what you're really saying is like the complete opposite. Yeah. It's and they a- don't, and they don't conceptualize that. Yeah, it's a microaggression. Often microaggressions are born of people trying to compliment other people. They're not trying to be harmful, but once they realize what that's deeply rooted in, I think that the average white person would say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean it that way and move on about their day because it doesn't, like I know that you're not trying to harm me when you say, oh, your hair looks so much prettier or straight. You're trying to give me a compliment and tell me that you like my hair straight. What you're really saying is your hair looks more like mine today. It looks pretty that way. Mm-hmm. Now, if I call you on that and I'm like, oh, what do you mean by that? And you backpedal 50 steps, right? Like now I'm pissed. But if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. What I meant to say was, I like your hair today. And I think like, that's like the advice that I often give to like my white friends just in general is like, just be literal. Pretend that I don't understand context or contextual cues and you will be fine, right? Like I once heard it read as like, if you are trying to talk to someone who is not like has autism spectrum disorder, where you have to be so literal because they don't understand sarcasm. So to me, instead of saying, Oh, I like your hair better today. Just say your hair looks nice today. There's nothing for me to read into. There's nothing for me to be like, "Mm, there's no coded language there. Your hair looks nice. Thank you. What am I going to say? Right? Like, wow, you did a phenomenal job on that presentation. You would say that to a white person if they did a phenomenal job on the presentation. You speak well, you would not say. Just be literal. What you mean to say is you did a good job. So tell me I did a good job. You don't need to, there's no, I don't understand. Like, and that's why people are like, well, if I can't say anything about your hair, I'm just not gonna talk at all. For me, I'm gonna be like, great, shut the fuck up. But like, for other people, right? Like, you can't just like go home and take, you, oh, since we can't play with my ball, I'm gonna take it at home and go play by myself. Like, don't go, don't be a sore loser just because I called you out, right? Like, mm-hmm. Just sit here and be like, wow, I didn't mean it like that. And move on. Yeah. It's fine. You're, you're like, like you, yeah, if the shoe fits, you know, wear it. You know, exactly. I'm like, you, well, you sick. Call somebody out and like, well, did I mean it that way? It's like, if you don't know, then, then you're part of the problem, right? Exactly. And then you're never going to say it that way again. Like Frank sat mm-hmm. next to me every day for almost a year, managed to never offend me, right? Like it's, it's not hard. Like that's, it drives me nuts. Ash and I have talked about it. Like it drives me crazy when white people are like, well, I just can't say anything to black people. I'm like, really? Cause I have conversations with Frank for like a long time and I've never once been offended. The difference is one, if you are just like talking about things that are like in common with the two of you or whatever, but then the second you try to branch out into some shit you don't know, we're probably going to have a problem, right? When you're like, I just don't understand why black people, oh, you already got me fucked up. You already got me fucked up. The second you want me to speak for an entire group of people, you have to fuck up. Like, no, what are you doing? Do I, am I, I'm never sitting here like, can we talk about why Josh Allen, and just expecting you to speak for why Josh Allen, the quarterback for 
the bills is doing X, Y, or Z. No, because I know you don't know him. Like that does, what the, I don't know. Like, I don't understand LeBron James's inner workings. I know he's a black man, but I, I promise you, if I knew LeBron James, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to your dusty ass. Like, what the fuck? I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, and it drives me nuts. But that's the thing. I'm like, you can talk to black people. Stick to what you know and be literal. And if you have a question or you're friends with them, and then when they call you out, just don't get mad. Done. Boom. Easy. And I have, if you don't know, do the research and educate yourself. Exactly. <laughs> done. It's not hard. Like, these people make this shit sound so hard. I'm like, majority of my friends are white. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just the nature of the way that I grew up. I grew up on the east side of Rochester, the better side of town. And so obviously, and I mean that as in just superior, not as a little in, flex. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like flex. Just pop that in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's coming. Um, and you know, it's just there are just more white people here. Went to a predominantly white college, just more white people there, worked in higher education. We all know that's white, right? Like now I work in sports. Like I just have more access to white people. That's not to say I don't have black friends. That's also to say that white people are perfectly capable of living lives and not offending or pissing off black people. The problem is your racism, not black people, like <laughs> or not being able to interact with white people. Like there's a, it's pretty diverse in Greece. Like I'm pretty sure you have probably quite a few black friends, both of you. Not to say that like that makes you a racist or not a racist, right? But like I'm pretty it's sure you have yeah. entire life and being fine, like. People do it every day. So you sitting here talking about that is just like ridiculous. Like being like, oh, right. Oh, I don't know how to talk to black people. Frank and Joey do it every day. Come on. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that really sticks out to me too, Lexi, when people do get defensive after you hypothetically would call them out, if you just take that step back and be like, I'm sorry, like you're right. Like I effed up here. Like that vulnerability of the realization of incorrectness goes miles longer than you backpedaling and now you're back in your mind you look at that person like yo what an asshole they like said this in the wrong way and now they just like backpedaled and they went in their hole instead of like i'm sorry like you're right like i, I made a mistake here like i want to be better i'm sorry and i'm glad you called me out now you look at that person moving forward at a completely different level than if they backpedal in the complete opposite direction. So like, what can I say to you now? Right? Like right. after you've apologized, you admitted, like, I, I'm not mad at you. Like, first of all, you like as a black person, you're like trained. God forbid you're ever late labeled the angry black woman. Like have been you're done. <laughs> you calm on so many things that like you otherwise would not be. And so, like, you know, when you say things to people, when you finally are like, oh, I didn't love that, like, that's completely disarming, right? Like, I'm not going to, like, berate you and be like, yeah, Frank, and, and you're an asshole, and blah, blah, blah. like, no, you're gonna be like, wow, Frank, like, thanks, I really appreciate that. I just want to let you know where I was coming from. And we're going to be so much better together after that. You're not going to feel like I berated you and, like, you can't talk to me. And I'm not going to feel like you might come out of your mouth with something crazy. Mm-hmm. And people are like, that's what I just, I, I don't know. I think people are perfectly willing and able to do it. So long as the other person goes, wow, I didn't mean like that. This is what I meant. I'm sorry about that. And you go, okay, appreciate you apologizing. Sure. Right. Done. Agreed. All right. Just, what for us? Well, I, I have like a, like a general thought brewing that I think my biggest wake up call of this year and this, this year has escalated just like basically everything in the world right now, like whether it be racially or the pandemic really, I think everything is like heightenedly inclined emotionally. I know my biggest wake up call was that being a good person isn't enough, sadly. Like I've always thought that, hey, I'm doing my, I'm, I treat everybody the same. I'm a nice guy. I'm doing my part. But in reality, while it's great that I'm nice, but at the end of the day, there is still that, that next step that we have to go and take to really get things done in this country. Cause there is a problem obviously with a lot of things. Um, it kind of goes back to your point. I think you both kind of hammer on the fact that throughout the talk, just that, you know, it's great that being a good person, like and how Frank mentioned, you know, like being vulnerable, like that's very important. But then, if, and for me and Frank being, being as white people, or, uh, so how do we go from, yes, we're your friends, we respect you, treat you well, but how we more so like ally with, whether it be the black community, like LGBTQ, like really any minority community, how do people who are, in the white community able to ally better and not just be nice guys, but also be part of the change, I guess. And that was yeah. a very loaded question that, cause you aren't white and we aren't black. So it's like kind of like asking the opposite questions. So 
like what your guys thoughts are on that for me like and i tell my white friends this all the time like it could be something as simple as continuing to educate your circles and having your circles educate their circles like i have a best friend who she's white she's always been my best friend for years and years and years her family is great to me her immediate family great her mom's side of family super racist super racist like and for for me like i told her i'm like why aren't you educating them why why isn't your family having this talk together and you saying like here's a problem like what what that needs to start happening and i think when people start bringing these conversations into their households because that's really where people learn this in their households like nobody is born racist like let's be honest there and so I personally feel like if you start having these conversations with the white friend, if you see a white friend post something that's offensive, because I see that a lot too, like not just saying like, oh my God, like that's terrible. Like call him out on it, call her out on it. Like, and I think like a lot of the times, like Lexi said, like when we call people out on it, we're the angry black women, we're the, the angry black, the angry black men, like that's who we are. But like, I don't, almost feel like it's it's even more helpful when it comes from somebody who looks like them because they can be like wow like this is somebody who grew up in the same area I did grew we grew up together we have like mostly the same values like let me listen to them because like I do respect them and I respect their opinion and I think it can really go a long way by just talking to your circle and then you know it can then trickle off to them talking to their circles yeah I always I, I completely agree. I always say that one of the best things that specifically young white men can do is calling out other young white men. Um, the number of times that I hear something, even on our sales floor, I'll be the one that says it, that I'm like, uh, excuse me? And I don't feel comfortable saying something. Meanwhile, there are 15 to 20 in earshot, because you know what the sales force is huge, right? Like 15 to 20 white men in earshot that just sat there, heard the same shit, all looked at me, and then we just moved on like it never happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is really, the other day on a Zoom call, I got cut off four times on a Zoom call, four times. To the point that I thought that my speaker wasn't working because I got cut off by a man so many times. 15 people, not 15, probably five people out of 15 texted me afterward and were like, wow, I can't believe he kept cutting you off. And I literally texted each one of them and was like, was your microphone not working to where you couldn't say, hey, I think you cut Lexi off. What were you saying, Lexi? Like, that's part of it is like, you see this stuff happen all the time and you say nothing and you do nothing. And then I have to sit there and be like, is this a battle that I want to fight? Is this something like you have to make it deeply unacceptable to be racist, to be sexist, to be whatever, to be anti-gay, to be any of those things in front of you that people feel uncomfortable saying that shit to you. Because I want people to feel uncomfortable saying something that's anti-trans in front of me. If you say something anti-trans, I will light you up. I'm not a trans woman. I'm, I, I'm not a member of the LGBTQ community, but that, well, that's not going to fly with me because I want to be the best ally that I can be because God forbid there's someone trans in front of me that I don't know. I want them to know that's not cute. That's not funny. We don't joke about that. If you say retarded in front of me, I will light you up. I personally don't have any sort of mental illness, mental disability, anything like that, but that's not acceptable in front of me. And you know that you don't have to be a member of that community in order to obviously stick up for it. Hence allyship. But in that, but with that said, you have to make it so deeply disrespectful to you and put that in front of your mind that people know not to think, not to do any of that in front of you. And eventually our society is like that. So you have to go hide in your little hole if you want to go be racist. That's where you deserve to be in a hole without anyone near you, without a society around you, because what you're doing is so deeply disrespectful and And frankly, like black people die sooner because they have to deal with these microaggressions in the workplace, right? Like I shouldn't have to deal with that shit. Frank should have said, or whomever, right? I'm just using Frank because he's a white man, right? Like Frank should have said, whoa, what do you mean by that? There's literally someone on our team right now who I get cut off all the time, just like as a woman working in sports, Ashley gets cut off all the time as a woman in sports. And there is someone on our team who will literally just say, what'd you say, Lex? When someone cuts me off. 
And every single time people stop talking and they wait to hear what I have to say. He doesn't have to be mean. He doesn't have to be nasty. He doesn't have to say anything rude. He just gives me space to say what I need to say after having been cut off. He doesn't say anything mean. He, him and I both know what he's doing. We've had conversations about it before, how I get frustrated when I get cut off in meetings. So he just says, wait, I didn't hear what you said. What'd you say, Lex? The other person doesn't feel attacked, but they also should feel stupid for cutting me off. Right? So it's like, also, like oh, call your friends out. It's not hard. Like you see, I know both of you are probably sitting here thinking of times where you're like, I probably should have said something, right? But it's like, yeah, you should. You 100% should. That is like the way that it happens. I have to call my parents out all the time where I'm like, that is sexist or that is deeply disrespectful to the LGBTQ community. Don't say that. Do not say that. To my parents, like, you think that's comfortable? Like, absolutely not. But like, my parents know if they say, like, my dad is like, one of those people who'll say something and I'm like, oh my God, like, and he's joking, right? Like, it's funny. He's like, I'm literally, and you're like, but you're like, dad, like, ooh, that ain't it, chief. Like, ooh, no, right? But it's like, you, they have to know that. And now my dad doesn't make jokes like that. Mm-hmm. And you I know? always, I always say like, when people, they, they'll post like, you know, it's easy to post a meme or whatever, but like, if you don't speak up and you talk to, or you don't talk to your peers that are saying something like Lexi said, deeply offensive, then like, you're not really outraged by what's going on. Like, you're just kind of following a trend at that point. Like, that's the reality of it. Out of being mad. Exactly. So like, for me, I'm like, if you don't say something, like, that's telling to me, like, you don't care. Like, you can be a nice person. Yeah. And you know, it's always the, I have black friends, like, cool. But like, what do you do? You, you don't care. Like, what if that was, what if that was my life that was taken? Like, are you going to act differently? So why, why are like, you should be outraged just for the other person that it happened to as well. So like, you shouldn't have to know somebody like Lexi said, like, she's not a member, but like, you shouldn't have to know somebody to be outraged to know right from wrong. And you should be able to speak up no matter what, if you are a hundred percent outraged. Now, if you're not like, don't act like you are and everybody will know your character. And then we'll all move forward and we'll drop you because I've dropped some friends during this time. I've learned a lot during this time about some people that I thought I was very close with and I'm not. So like, I, for me, that's the most telling part. Like speak up. If you don't speak up, you're not outraged enough and you don't care. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I do want to shout out Joey real quick, especially while we're recording because he was, we've both been outraged during this time, but we were kind of starting to plan earlier in the week for just our normal podcast. And he texted me and he's like, dude, like we can't do this. Like I'm pissed. Like I'm, I can't focus at work. Like we, we got to do something special this, this week. Like it has to be completely focused on the black community. And like immediately, like I dropped everything. I'm like, dude, you're right. Like, I'm glad you said this. Like, let's get, let's, let's, let's get some outreach. And you reached out to our friends, reached out to you, to you ladies. And thankfully we, we, we put a great group together that, has projected their voices over the last 24 hours in these interviews. So to your point, Ashley, like, especially people in the white community, if, if we're not pissed off, if we're not doing things like this to project voices, to spread the word that then spreads the word that then spreads the word, then inherently we're, we're not part of the solution. So mm-hmm. um, I love, I love that we're doing this and I appreciate you women being on here more than I can exuberate as well as other four four men we had on this morning and yesterday so um shout out to joey for, for really pushing the envelope this week and then shout out to you wonderful ladies for talking to us jamokes but it goes back to ashley's point of using the platform i know me and frank me and frank obviously aren't lebron james or you know these guys who are or worldwide superstars but we have a certain amount of listeners that we can hopefully potentially influence, whether it be a small amount or a large amount to whoever may look at it. But it's just the fact that if I, I, I'm the guy, I, I post like the black square at the end. I'm, I'm, I do do like the, the social media posts, and but I want to don't, I want to avoid being the guy who like, Oh, I post and I go, I go about my day. I do other stuff. Like, yeah, hey, I'll post like BLM. Then I'll just go like, you know, back to my normal life. Like I think it'd be very dishonest of Frank and I, who I think are on the right side of this argument in terms of like, we're advocating for you guys. And I want to seem like me and Frank, like white knighting for the black community. I know you, for damn well, you guys can handle it yourselves. You two, especially and like our friends, Malcolm, Damar and Colin, Daryl. So 
it's more of the fact that I want to use what me, what me and Frank have built up and use it for good and not be the ones that is if, if me and Frank just did our normal sports podcast, like, Oh, here's the scores from baseball this week. Like I would feel like the biggest like idiot and hypocrite in the world. Cause I know what I am saying out there publicly. And if we didn't do it on this, you know, then I'd have to really question who the hell me and Frank were at that, at that point. You know, it's interesting you should say that because I was talking to my team about posting on social media and I 100% agree. Like there is such a thing as like people posting on social and then not going to actually do anything, right? Like that empty mm-hmm. sort of activism. And there's also a part of me that like, again, something Ashley and I have talked about that like when people just are silent on these things, like you post about the baseball scores and you post about, you know, this brand that you saw and you reposted from the Yankees and you, you know, you did all of these things and then are just completely silent on black lives matter. I then start to make assumptions about, well, you post all the time. Like I'm very confused Mm -hmm. why this is the thing you choose to be silent on. And then I have to go hop on a call with you for work at 9am. I'm like, a little uncomfortable talking about what I did over the weekend if it was attending a Black Lives Matter protest because I'm thinking some some things about you or I'm thinking you feel a certain way or whatever. And so that to me has been has become like a really interesting thing because there has been such a flood on social media of people that have come to realize post George Floyd's death that like I, I need to be a better ally to the black community. I need to be, to be better and just use my voice more that there's just so many of them, right? Like there's, so, I literally was just saying this the other day, how like there was someone from my team that posted that I was just like, I never thought this kid was like racist or anything, but I just never thought he cared. And then he posted something and I was like, and it was like something where he like, he had donated to the black community. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I never would have thought that. So now I don't feel like weird talking about this in front of him or anything like that, because he showed me where he was at without tagging me. He wasn't doing it for Lexi Williams, but I was like, wow, he showed up for the black community. Amazing. And then when other people are silent, I'm like, are you racist or do you not care? Because right now I feel like they're one in the same. I'm like, I always want to be careful of like deeming people racist versus deeming things that they do as like an act of racism. Because mm-hmm. I think the second you call someone a racist, their arms go up, right? Like they're like, I'm not a racist, I have black friends, right? Whereas like when you say like, oh, when you say that, do, are you aware that that's like a racist term? Like you name the action, right? Like you name the thing that they did or the thing that they said as racist rather than you, Frank, are a racist. Frank, the thing that you said, are you aware that that's like, a sign of racism or something like that, right? Like, I think it disarms people, but like, I think that right now, like there's a part of me that like looks around at people and is like, are you racist though? Like with all of the information out there, are you racist? So when they post, I'm like, sick, no racism here. Like moving on with my day. And like, the other thing is like, for some people, like, I'm like, you are that person for some people in your high school that like, they're like, oh, that person's 100% racist. And then they post something about Black Lives Matter and you're like, geez, that person isn't racist after all. This is amazing. And I like, I literally said that on my call the other day. I was like, some of you are that people for your high school that like they look back and they're like, oh, this person never posts Black Lives Matter because they're racist. And then you post something and you show people like, wow, this person cares. And, you know, obviously that activism off screen is certainly a big thing. Calling your friends out, educating yourself, donating, signing petitions, any number of things, calling, right? Like I'm going to spend my day just like Nike employees are doing. I'm literally going to call people in Kenosha, sign petitions, do anything that I can today that literally cost me no money. It just cost me my time, which trust me is worth it. And go do that, right? Like I'm a member of the black community. It doesn't make me exempt from helping the black community either, mm-hmm. right? Like we have to help ourselves. But, you know, I, I post about Black Lives Matter all the time. Follow me, no lex zone. And I can go do that stuff too, right? Like that's that's another part of it is like take it offline because there are so many good resources online, but go do something about it now. Love it. Love it, love it. Cool. I'm, I'm out of words personally. I don't know if you women have anything else that you'd like to mention or, or talk about, but again, we're happy to open it up. But I, I, I can immensely appreciate the time that you've given us. 
Yeah, I think I'm good. I, we've been talking about this um, since the day that we were born. Um, and then it's ramped up a lot <laughs> with uh, George Floyd, but it's nice to have the mic for once, right? Like to have people actually give a shit about what you think because they realize that it hasn't happened for 400 years. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I appreciate it. This was like, this was great. And I like that, like I said, like you all are using your platform. Like I, I see how many followers you have, a couple hundred. And like, I think like, for me, like those people could never, maybe some of these people, their jobs or whatever, they're not having these conversations. So if they can look at this podcast and just hear in depth, like no attacking, no -hmm. anything, just like sit and listen, like this in itself is an educational tool. So I'm so happy that you guys asked me and Lexi to come because we are always here to talk about this stuff. 100%. And there was one more point that I wanted to make because this type of conversation is not only uncomfortable for people to maybe listen to or to even speak about, but it's Mm -hmm. also emotionally draining to some point. And over the last we're probably what Joy done about two and a half hours of, of these interviews over the last 12 to 18 hours. I personally am a, a bit emotionally drained right now. And I'm wanted to feel this way because I wanted to relate as much as I could to what you women and the rest of the black community have must have felt like for your entire lives. The emotional drainage that you have must have felt of just having these conversations, just having to walk outside of having to go to the store and looking over your shoulder after crossing your fingers when you get pulled over. Like I had three conversations with six very close people in my life about a very, very uncomfortable topic in today's day and age that should not be uncomfortable. It should be, everyone should be equal in this matter. But like, I'm able to feel this emotional drainage that I can't even fathom what it would feel like to have, to put on that face the last 26, 27, 28 years on a daily basis. So um, I would say, sorry, to that, like for people that are at home listening that aren't having these conversations, I heard the best, it was like the closest feeling that I could equate the other day where a white man was talking and he said, I think I, I finally understand like what, like a small thing. Sorry, my parents. <laughs> um, I think I finally, and he said, I was walking around CDS and they didn't have what I wanted. And as I was leaving, you know, that feeling in your stomach where you're like, I'm not stealing. I'm not doing anything wrong. Even though you know, you're not doing something wrong, but you're leaving a store without buying anything. And there's like that <gasps> right as you leave, And he was like, and he asked, he was like, is that what black people feel? And I said, yes, all of the time. Mm -hmm. And it's that, like, that was like the close, Ash, like, like, it's like that, that's like the closest feeling to what you get when you like walk by a police officer and you're like, I'm just walking. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you know, and you're like, you're not doing anything wrong. You didn't have the product that I wanted, right? Like, I'm like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just black. (laughs) I'm just walking down the street. But that's like the closest thing to like, that I think white people can begin to be like, oh my God, I hate that feeling. And I'm like, yes. And then you walk out of the store, you know you didn't steal anything and you go on about your day. I can't check out of being black so I don't get to go on about my day. Mm-hmm. And I have to function at a normal level and have productivity at work and hit goals and be a good like you know aunt and be a good daughter and be a good whatever with that feeling in my stomach every single day that I wake up and have for 27 years mm-hmm. and that's like the closest thing for people that are like listening they're like what's it like I'm like mm. imagine you feel like you stole something even though you know that you didn't that's what it feels like I love that yeah when he said that I was like yes I, I don't know I've never thought of that yes <laughs> that's so. awesome yeah anyway well thanks guys we appreciate you having us this is awesome we appreciate Thank you, you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be sure to uh, let you know about it when we post on Sunday, as you mentioned, and we'll mention again, um, we'll be doing three separate podcasts on Sunday. That way everyone has the opportunity to conceptualize, make sure they're listening episode by episode. And we hope this, this net gets cast as wide as possible. And as you mentioned to the other four gentlemen we had on, anytime you guys are looking to, 
to come chat it up with us, I'm more than happy to do so. Cool. All cool. right. Thanks, guys. See you soon, hopefully. My God, enough of this. I know. <laughs> Everybody wear a mask so I can see my friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a whole, that's a whole nerd podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I know. <laughs> Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know, man.